0: Justin Polgar, it's where we play Spot the Propaganda together, and it's where we have high-vibe, deep-diving conversations with amazing humans. So be sure to hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for this week's episode. Today's Conscious Awesome show is called Us Is them and like the vast majority of our episodes, it was also recorded as a video. So if you're a visual person, if you'd rather make this a multi-sensorial experience, head on over to our Locals page where you can find all of our Conscious Awesome videos, consciousawesome.locals.com. As well, be sure to subscribe so that you can receive word anytime a new podcast drops here and be sure to stock up on the world's greatest chocolate at yescacao.com and follow Danny's everything at dannycats.com and quantumlinguaging.com and buckle up the show's starting Well and the fact that is being demonized as our every problem is it's like missing the point. Capitalism is beautiful and capitalism is part of what makes America great because it inspires innovation and yes there are downsides to capitalism but it's a matter of like maneuvering in nuance. This goes back to like we just need to restore our respect for nuance and our ability to engage with nuance instead of having everything so black, white, good, bad, us, them. Take it away, Justin.
1: (laughs) What a great intro. Yes, yes, yes. My pleasure, DK. My pleasure. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Conscious Awesome Show. We're your hosts, Danny Katz. That's you. And Justin Polgar, that's me. Deep dive into what makes us tick. What is the natural evolution of our consciousness? What can we lean and aspire into? What can we wake up with? that pulls us towards a greater next day, a greater next moment, a greater next minute. Uh, and we, we cover all kinds of topics. Today's I'm, I think is relevant and delicious. And as Danny intro us so organically, today the topic is on episode 18, 18, Us and Them.
0: We're legal, we're legal, Justin.
1: We made it, we can vote. Our show can vote now. We're eighteen <laughs> episodes in. We will be uh, we will be evolving our reach here shortly. I've been doing some research into what kind of syndication to push the the show out into the different feeds. It's easier than it seems.
0: Yes, and uh, well, I'm excited to have a conversation about this because our our, our show's friend Josh Trent also has some some suggestions for us on this, and he's doing great work on his show, Wellness Force, right now.
1: Wellness Force, check it out. I will yes. check it out. Awesome, so he's an us.
0: He's an us. We're all an us. That's every, the, every in us. Every being in the multiverse is an us.
1: I, I'm fond of saying when the, when the they, them, and the we, us unify, everything's gonna be cool. That's when everything gets fixed. When the they, them, and the we, us unify, become the same. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We are the same when we acknowledge the sameness. How
0: do you see this happening? How do you see this acknowledged unification unfolding?
1: Well, I think we've covered this in in a couple of shows. There are different steps. There are different things within our consciousness and our self-reflection that are necessary building blocks. For example, being transparent and acknowledging our own shadow in order to accept and have compassion for the shadow in the perceived other Mm -hmm. that's like a very basic and important piece also i think it's important that we acknowledge that we've all been tricked into the us them that's a really important piece
0: i think that's uh, so i'm really glad you said that because i think the notion of us admitting that we have been tricked is one of the biggest barriers. It's that, that, uh, that piece of the ego that wants to think that we can't be tricked, that we can't be mind control- controlled. Maybe other people can, but not us. And I think that it's the inability to acknowledge that that is uh, creating an obstacle between us acknowledging our unity right now.
1: It's a perceived weakness. It's an insecurity and i think in general we are trained in some ways mind washed brainwashed it's actually more of a mind wash than a brain wash if i think about it properly it's i see like it as
0: both i don't both want to yeah i only see it as both in that i had i once had a visual download of how alters and fragmentation that are caused by abuse create actual walls upon which propaganda can be physically projected
1: like a graffiti
0: or or even just like the way that a movie is projected onto a screen if if we don't have those fragmentations created in our brain to block us off from our wholeness those those fragmentations are actually like physical walls Mm -hmm. upon nefarious forces can project prop and do project propaganda so I know what you're saying about mind and I also think they're using the brain as a means of controlling the mind.
1: The brain is a vehicle to get to the mind. Boom. Boom, bang. Yeah, there, there is a, there's some type of block. I, I came across it when I was uh, 21. 21 is when I started to really, I have different mantras that I like. Can you hear me still?
0: I can hear you great. Are we back? We've never left.
1: That was such a strange. I'm gonna turn this off here. There's um. When I was 21, I started this mantra. uh, Every morning, I eat my insecurities for breakfast. I eat my insecurities for breakfast, and thus invited the awareness of where, like, where is it that my insecurities are because. Generally, they're right in our blind spot. They're right behind the veil and often challenging to see in ourselves. Easy to see in other people. Easier to see in other people. Now, I set up a construct through this mantra and also through putting myself in situations. Like, for example, um, I was questioning a lot of assumptions. So I would... uh, Like, there was the assumption of monogamy is is the proper way to do relationship. And I assumed that that was the proper way for me to do a relationship. It was kind of projected as this is the proper way for everyone to do relationship. But this is just the foundation that I was taught. And so for me to rebel and push back and question that assumption uh, invited me into the the virtues of polyamorous relationships. And what would it be like to, uh, you know, I had this, I had a couple sayings in my group of friends, which were, uh, one, monogamy is silly. Now, monogamy is silly kind of shook it up a little bit to you know make it so it wasn't quite as taboo, kind of destabilized the concept of monogamy as such a, a solid pillar, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the other saying was, real lovers let lovers love others, mm-hmm. which is fun to say because of all the Ls and uh, also still holds true regardless of polyamory or monogamy because love is not relegated to uh, sexual intimacy right real lovers let lovers love others
0: and if you Uh, are a real lover then you are supporting and encouraging others loverness
1: whatever that looks like however that manifests and generally that makes for more loving just my observation so I I was in a few relationships relatednesses that um, pulled that pulled in experiences like um, I would I had a partner that uh, I remember specifically being at this party yeah I was like twenty one and I come around the corner and she was making out flirting with this guy and. You know, that could be kind of a emotionally a very arresting thing where it's like, oh my God, I'm threatened. And instead of me reacting immediately, and I think the mantra set up this container so that I thought, okay, what what were the first three or four things that came to my mind? Of like, what were my my, my uh, I'm not enoughs? Like, oh, he's funnier than me, he's a better kisser than me. He has a bigger cock than I do. He has this, that. It was like all of these socially programmed. It's a better dancer than I. And so it was interesting because it showed me, A, where my skill sets lied, where they were, and also where I had my insecurities, jealousy, these things. So I used the tool in order to get a self-reflection and allow that to start to dissolve and break down. And it, just seeing the illusion of it really helped me to create space so that I am not those things. I was just carrying them in a bag all the time just behind my consciousness and how, allowing it to affect the way that I approached and engaged the world. So it was, it was that piece right there, like really engaging our insecurities it's an emotional intelligence technique that would be very helpful for us to uh see through the us them
0: totally, totally, so a few things come to mind as you share this, and one is yeah, it's very important for us to look at our shadows and to look at the fact that we are all being deceived, you know like even those of us who have more pieces of the puzzle are not immune to that because we are all in us. So we are all being deceived. And like Guru Singh says, you can't get to where you're going unless you know where you are and where you're starting from. And you know, what comes to mind is I I told you before we hopped on the show that I spoke at a meeting last night and I showed up in a way that (laughs) it was a little bit embarrassing to me. And I noticed on the drive home the urge to self-flagellate, and that I flipped it in that it was a great learning experience. Experience because I need to, I, you know, for me, I spoke emotionally on a topic where it would have been more effective for me to speak um, less passionately, you know, and with more distance from a more intellectual space. So I need to see where that is. A weakness for me or an inclination I have that works against me. I have to have that experience and I have to see how it fails to accomplish what I want to accomplish so that I can learn. We have to be honest with ourselves about our shadows and our shortcomings and our deceptions and all of that. The other piece that popped up when you were sharing that was when you said monogamy is silly. I noticed in me like, oh, I feel judged by that, right? Just by that notion. And then as I was playing it out, you weren't saying people who are monogamous are silly or people who favor monogamy are silly. You were talking about the institution or the structure. And I feel like that's a really big piece that contributes to the illusion of us and them is that we conflate people's practices and preferences and beliefs with who they are. And we do that to ourselves, and I feel like that that might be the number one, you know, issue in this pretend divide between an us and a them.
1: You you actually really elucidate this beautifully in your book, in the Words Up book, uh, about how we even speak to how old are you, mm-hmm. right? I'm 38, or I have 38 years. It's interesting, because in, in uh, like, uh, Spanish, for example, you would say... Um, you know, cuantos, cuantos años uh, tienes? Tienes two. Tiene two, something like this. You could probably brush that up a little bit, and yeah, it would I'm, say, I, it "Tengo treinta años," which is, "I have this many years." Or it's right. not, "I am this." The "I am" is a very powerful statement.
0: It's so powerful, and it's such a block. You know, I'm thinking obviously we're speaking around it, you know, and just to like gently titrate into the the volatile realm of politics. You know, and I I've never been registered Democrat or Republican. So I'm not I haven't participated in that. But let's just for the sake of, of our show. A,
1: I don't have a wing in the game.
0: <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Um and so let's pretend there's a difference between I tend to favor democratic policies or i have historically voted democrat versus i am democrat and how much harder it's going to be to shift or make a different choice when we're identifying our existential isness with these choices that we're making it's like we, we take away the ability to change our mind and it becomes so easy to like demonize other people because we create all these labels around preferences and choices that are really very easy to change in any moment. And if we're smart and awake and present and paying attention, we will be shifting those at all times.
1: That would be a healthy practice.
0: Such a healthy, let's just just make the phrase I am, let's just get rid of it.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. let's just use it properly. And we don't wanna get, because it can be used very properly and also ritually. Right. If you think about like a cafe gratitude. Completely. Application.
0: I, I My wall is full of I am's right I,
1: now. I know that it is. I know. <laughs> I, I know. We don't want to throw out the I am. We just want to use it properly in the same way we want to use. Um, Had this conversation yesterday about uh, different taboo words and words that we're not allowed to use because they're uh, uh, the conversation was that oh well those are offensive words and i said i don't really i don't buy into that you, mm-hmm. if you want to that's fine i don't buy into something being offensive i do acknowledge it's something i can be offended by something but by giving power to that concept and by becoming a victim of the language i i then am losing my my isness and my amness for something that is not worth giving it up to
0: it's so disempowering, this, this notion that words can offend. Like, the only thing that can offend me is if I have an, an unhealed wound that, that someone's word is pointing to. I feel like, you and I have talked about this with words, like, there shouldn't be anything that I will not allow myself to say, because I know my intentions and I know the purity of my heart. And I've stumbled upon this with certain words that are taboo and that I won't say because it's not worth it for us to be deplatformed. But, you know, let's just take the word bitch, you know, it's a super simple word. And I really, I don't like that word. But like, if that word offends me, then my practice is to say the word enough times that, that whatever charge I'm putting on it or is associating it, I can integrate it so that I am not giving my power away to that word. So my practice with these words that we're allegedly not supposed to say, even the like really bad ones, is to say them. And to say them to myself and purify them through their utterance and through their vibration so that they don't have any perceived power over me.
1: There's a diffusing there. And- exactly. And as well, there's a as, as a recognition, acknowledgement of shadow because the part, the parts of us that feel offended by these words are opportunities for growth. Those, these are opportunities. Uh, I actually I had written on my wall. I loved that practice. I still do love that practice. It's just writing directly on the walls of my of my bedroom.
0: There is something about that that is so satisfying it definitely has its own frequency to write on your own walls
1: yeah because i mean how easy is it to i mean if you write in pencil erase with a magic rub eraser it's all gone or paint over super easy you know so there's is a perceived consequence uh that is it's just not as big of a consequence as we generally allege
0: i before you jump into the story that i'm excited to hear i had a boyfriend. I think you met Oli. And Mm -hmm. he had, he wrote all over his walls. He lived in the old Krishnamurti temple in Hollywood. And it is etched into my mind forever, the quote, as if you could kill time without injuring eternity. And I know that if that was written on a piece of paper that was taped to his wall, it would not have the same impact on me as it did where being directly painted onto the wall.
1: As if you could kill time.
0: Without injuring eternity.
1: Powerful. Definitely something to to manana on. Mm. That's good. There's a few poems that come to mind. And Mm -hmm. before I go into anything else, the writing on my wall said, when I respect myself, I cannot be disrespected so true and yeah and it's it it is of that is people are offended by that because it calls people in to be more powerful and to be more responsible and that feels dangerous even though it's not dangerous it's not dangerous to be more responsible it's far more dangerous and reckless to be irresponsible
0: Completely, but it makes us much harder to control.
1: Mm. Control. Mm. I
0: love that. It's such a great boundary. Like, I have a friend who is often very harried and busy, and I'll call him, and he'll pick up the phone in a stressed-out s- state, and I'll start to speak, and he's like, I don't have time to talk right now. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Why? why'd you pick up the phone? You know, And he called me last night and I picked up the phone and he's like, do you have time to speak? And he's like, well, of course you do because you don't pick up the phone when you don't want to talk. As though that were something uh, that not all his friends do. And it's just, it's just being self-responsible with our boundaries is the same way we're inviting people to be self-responsible with being offended or respecting themselves or any of those things.
1: I mean, there is this wonderful technology called voicemail.
0: I, that is such a weird thing to me. When people pick up the phone and then the attitude is though I'm putting them out for calling, like just be self-responsible with your day. And if you don't have time to talk, then just don't pick it up. It's not. It's
1: not there's, a, just- there's a perpetuation of the us, them in that, even though it's so, it's so subtle, it's so simple. But the perpetuation of that us, them is that you are taking my time, exactly. even though I Everyone just gave it to me. you
0: right they're yeah. they're asking too much of me
1: yeah I've, I've been realizing this um, it it seems like there's this trend where calling people it's so intimate now to call someone on the phone and hear their voice, but right. even if you go back a few generations, two generations, um, this was a conversation I was having yesterday and a lot of conversations yesterday. Uh, a lot of older generation. Folks who you know would be octogenarians and and beyond, uh, not that into talking on the phone, like shorter conversations because it's just a phone call. It's not the intimacy of an in person. You know, it's all it's all very relative in that way. But I I do get this this vibe that only call me if there's something important. Otherwise, just text me or email me or something. Um, but that has a different, has a different vibe.
0: Well, it's, yeah, it's like we're chipping away at at the intimacy. Like now, that has become like it seems like culture's going in the direction of less and less intimacy, less and less connection.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's divisive.
0: Here's an us them thing that that I noticed yesterday. A friend of mine had posted on social media that so, so the gist of the story was that her neighbor is inconsiderate and that when her tree was growing into their yard instead of talking to them about it the neighbor just cut down the tree which is super inconsiderate like i completely relate however the way she wrote the post she started with saying My neighbors are MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters. This is how Trump supporters deal with trees. This is how Trump supporters deal with their neighbors. And all of a sudden, the post, which was really about how one person was inconsiderate, was turned into an us-them, where I don't, like, that that is a way of perceiving it, and all of a sudden, the post took a singular incident with a singular person as a means of demeaning uh, an entire swath of of our population. And it was it was an instance where like it wasn't even an us them. It seems like an interpersonal misunderstanding, um, and then it was turned into an us them, and then and then of course it it uh, attracted support of people who were on board with this type of us-them separation. And uh, I just wanted to cry when I read it.
1: <laughs> I guess, uh, does that make all arborists MAGA people?
0: I think so, by that <laughs> logic.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the this, this simplification, the oversimplification of things, where there is nuance, and and when that's just thrown out the, the window, that leads to an easier us them dynamic. Oversimplification makes us feel, I think, more, more uh, separate. There's like a safety valve in that, um, oh, a perceived safety. Them.
0: It's like we're lobbying to be an us, right? Like lizard brain is gonna lobby to be part of the us so that we're safe because it's not safe to be the outcast. And how often are we lying or distorting ourselves or, or, you know, surrendering our integrity to be a part of the us while lobbying for that safety? Because it's so reductive, right? So many of these us, thems, like it, it seeks to put people into these really small boxes that, I mean, I'm, I, I, I rarely ascribe to the us. I feel like I'm used to being the them, but I, I know that it's, uh, it's not a comfortable place to be.
1: It's more comfortable to be in. Generally speaking, it's more comfortable to belong and to feel a sense of belonging. Um, I, wonder, uh, I wonder about our biological affinity and our, our desire to be a, a part of the us when the us has veered and is, is meandering outside of what, would, what I perceive to be beneficial for not only humanity but all species that we're sharing space with the the larger us beyond you know there's that um i there was a a youtube advertisement of some uh very stereotypical guru looking guy big big beard sadhu style and you know sometimes i'll i'll be doing something with my hands and i don't skip the ad though i I usually skip the ad but i end up becoming It's funny how much, how many things I pick up just by not skipping the ads. Like I'm just aware of certain things that I I wouldn't intentionally be aware of. I'm probably targeted in that way. But there was a conversation about how some people make the us uh, just themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm me, I'm solo, I'm an individual. Everything else, it's me versus the world. Then there's uh, some people who describe the us as the people that live within the four walls of their home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then there's the us that describe their local community or church or synagogue or mosque or um, social, recreational, their friends, their, their friends, their extended family. And then it goes on to uh, more of a nationalistic us or a global, the people and humanity us. And then there are people that are, that are the, the us includes all sentient beings. And then you have the us that's like, we're in a full galactic confederation. you know. So there's how we hold the us really changes the way that we are engaging. It's such a foundational uh, perspective and a perspective shift, at least potentially, to hold people who disagree with us as still part of the us.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I get that. I'm, and it's, and it's also where people at are authentically. And this is something that I need to remind myself. Like if we go through David Hawkins stages of the way consciousness develops at at various stages, people will only hold so many people in their us. Mm -hmm. And that is appropriate for where they are. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're at a stage in the earth game and we have, we have technology available that's, that's very threatening. And our wisest move is for us to unify as a global us, very quickly. Um, and it seems like not everyone is, is, is there yet. And so it's, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing to watch when, you know, those of us who are, are holding a larger global us and to have the patience and the compassion to allow people to be where they're at, knowing what is on the line, <laughs> and to be able to transcend the fear of extinction, into go and into go to a larger like it's all happening the way it's supposed to happen, even if we all die.
1: <laughs> it's so because I hear what you're, I hear these things you're saying like extinction, and it's even even in like the um, kind of I'm going to call it the fugazi, the kind of Fake extinction rebellion pushback uh, the when words are taken or concepts are taken and then turned into movements that are n- not o- not often authentic in their roots
0: like antifa
1: like antifa <laughs> exactly I mean there's so many there's just so, so many fun. examples so many. right yeah. um, and I'm hearing what you're what you're saying and there's an intentional it, to me it's intentional there's a taking of language and making it so that it's challenging. It's more of a challenge. Uh, It's stimulating. It's stimulating, if you will, to attempt to bridge the gaps using language and using our main communication tool. I mean, as human beings, we've developed language in order to assist in our relating. And yet it has at least it seems right now to be more, the way that language is being used seems to be more of a divisive tool than a unifying tool.
0: Correct, it's the way it's being used. Like language can be used to support our unification and that that's the beauty of it. It's like you look at, you know, this alleged pandemic and the way that it's being spread is through words, right? We don't see people bleeding out their eyeballs on the street. You and I haven't lost any friends or family. I'm not seeing that in any inner community. So the way that this crisis is being fostered and is being um, propped up is through language. And the beauty of that is that the way that we can course correct and that we can, that justice will be served is also through language. The gist is just, is just knowing that and knowing, I feel like so many people give their power away, like this is too big, we don't have a shot, they have too many pieces in order. They're using the same technology that we're using, which is words and we can use words to wake people up to our unity. It's just, uh, unhooking them from, you know, from these, these, from the toxic platforms. It's like they're hooked up to these IVs that are putting poison into their system. We need to get them off of those and give them some, like, good oxygenated nutrients instead.
1: We need to change the bags. We We need to change the bags. That's super important. Yeah. I wonder what your thoughts are, DK, on how the we, us, the us and them, how that plays into individualism and freedom versus collectivism. I can, I, I'm under the impression, I believe that we can have the we, us functioning within a freedom and individual space, because it's not, it's not a flat concept, it's not a dichotomy, um, But the the general gist is that if you want to have a we-us, then it needs to be a collectivist. Everyone agree on the same thing. Everyone do the same thing. Everyone approach problems the same way. That just doesn't seem to me to be uh, as effective.
0: I don't see that as being effective as all. And I, and unless I'm misunderstanding it, the way that I see collectivism playing itself out now, it is really dependent on a lot of us, thems. Like there are a lot of these factions, even even the notion that there's a, you know, a disempowered group that's a them, and I am an empowered us, which seems to be driving a lot of collectivism, like that is itself divisive and that is fundamentally disempowering, as well as the notion that there's a them or, or different groups that need certain ha- handicaps or certain extra, extra bits of help. I feel like all of that denies a fundamental humanity, a fundamental intelligence, a fundamental empowerment. Um, so I see collectivism as being really dependent upon these uses and these them's. Like it, it, the way that I see it playing out is that collectivism is creating an illusions, uh, an illusion of these uses and these them's. And then the, what always comes along with the illusion of an us and them are stories and stereotypes and associations that get stapled to the us and that get stapled to the them. And now with these these imaginary stories, now we're going to take efforts to create equity by giving the thems these extra things that these usses have decided that they need. I don't know. The whole thing feels completely hampered by us themness. Am I... It sounds
1: I mean, kind of... It, it's funny. It seems kind of seuss There's like a whole Seuss...
0: It is very Seussian.
1: It's Seussian. Yeah. It's very Seussian. Um, can you speak to the individual i I mean i because i just finished reading um atlas shrugged and being in a mind state of and Rand, ayn rand um there the the conversation around individualism as a path to collective well-being because this actually goes back to a few episodes ago when we were talking about identity and when the collectivism is based on identity or identity politics that is not nearly as foundational. It's not, it's something that is constantly needing to be propped up by language and by convincing.
0: Yeah, I feel like in, uh, I love Ayn Rand and I feel like individualism is the only way because, like we said, like. No collective shadows are going to be transcended without us transcending our own individual shadows. The whole world is not going to be empowered to shine brightly until I empower myself to shine brightly because I am an inextricable part of this world. So I feel like collectivism seeks to take responsibility off of the individual, which is really to disempower and cripple the individual in service to empowering the state as we play out this illusion that we're weak and disempowered and can't get it together when in fact i feel like the way to take best advantage of of all of our individual earthwalks is by individualism and empowering ourselves no one like no one has the same set of circumstances you cannot make generalizations about groups that are going to stand up. Every individual being was born with their own individual cosmic makeup, their, their genius and their gifts and their flaws and their shadows, you know, their raw deals and their talents. Everyone has their own unique combination of those. So no collectivist sort of equity seeking solution is going to be appropriate for each individual. And and I also feel like collectivism dissuades us from really leaning into our individualism and knowing it and learning it and mastering ourselves. It seeks to let us off the hook to not take responsibility and to just lean in to these allegedly one size fits all or one size fits your particular like fragmented grouping. And yeah, it might be a great way to to hit some sort of like mediocre status quo. But in my perspective, we came here to thrive and to like live magic and miracles and amazingness and to innovate. And the only way to do that is to optimize our individualism.
1: Amen. 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 Wow. Amen. That's all I like what do
0: you think? I mean, from you having just come out of the Ayn Rand world what is your perspective on collectivism versus individualism and and especially how it's playing out now
1: well i a hundred percent on board with what you're with what you just said i think that the individual path leads to that's the that's the doorway that is the doorway it leads to a richer shared reality it's We know that life is multidimensional. We know that there's a fractal nature to the way that this multiverse works. We know that there's not just a 3D. So in order to, you know, it's like simplifying everything to a a plane. Like here, we we actually all need these things in order to not only just need these. We all have this set of parameters that we all need to live in. And that is going to satisfy as many people as possible. One of the things that I came across recently, I think it was a Benjamin Franklin quote about democracy. And surprisingly, he was very much against democracy. Um, And I would like like to look into this a little bit more, but the quote, the gist of the quote was that democracy is very disempowering because it's a majority rule. And at the, at the pinnacle of it, uh, when you have a 51% majority, that means almost half of the people are not getting their needs met. When almost half of, a, of the people are not getting their needs met, we are at, we're, we're doing a disservice. If you want to grade it, that's a fucking F. <laughs> I mean, what
0: was he lobbying for instead?
1: A republic Would for individualism.
0: I mean, we are we are a democratic republic. We're not a democracy. It isn't majority rule. We are a republic, and I don't know that that that, that necessarily means you know. I don't know. I I don't know enough about governance to know what, whether you
1: weren't Benjamin Franklin in a previous life. You cannot speak from him. Tell me. Not-
0: Not that I'm aware of, and I don't claim any expertise here, but I I just am aware these days of these sort of false equivalencies, and I even feel silly for using that phrase because that's so in the collective. But to say that 51% majority rule necessarily means that 49% don't get their needs met, we don't know that that's what that means. They might not have their preferences acknowledged, but I don't know that the system we're referencing is actually kicking to the curb 49% of the people's needs. I don't have enough awareness. And I'm just, the reason that I'm nitpicking on that is because I'm seeing how often in the public discourse these leaps of the logic are being taken and legitimized. Like I, I had a, you know, this was like a text exchange with someone on Bumble, which is just so ridiculous at this point. And his dream, he was like, I'm all for smashing the patriarchy, which is obviously like, that's not where I'm at. And I said, cool, what are you, what are you seeking to replace it with? What's your vision? And he said, uh, more women of color in charge. And I said, but what if the women in color are moronic assholes? And he said, so you clearly believe that women of color are moronic assholes. No, I don't clearly believe that and nothing in my proposed, you know, potential like poking at it devil's advocate solution would indicate that to a thinking, functioning mind. Um, So it's really frustrating to see in this sea of us, them, this illusion of us, them, how many people default to, well, if, if X, then some sort of Utterly absurd, ridiculous why. And because people identify with the us that is, that is proposing the ridiculous why, then all of those usses are going to defer to the absurdity of the ridiculousness to maintain their standing as good usses. And I'm over it.
1: Oh, man, I love how much juice you have on this topic. <laughs> I love it. I want to call attention, too, that the name of this episode is Us Them, not Us Versus Them. Right. Subtle. Right. Important.
0: Well, because that's the thing. Like Now we get into a place where we have differences of opinion, and this versus is shoved in as though, because I don't agree with you, now I'm positioned against you. Now I'm an adversary. No. I just have a different idea. I have a different belief. I'm, we're still in us. We're still in the same corner. I still want you to thrive. And I still want me to thrive, and there's enough to go around. And can we all just get on board with that, like now?
1: <laughs> that's the, that would be the solution. Everybody on board.
0: <laughs>
1: Everybody get on board.
0: Everyone acknowledge your us. If we could just pledge allegiance to our usness, that's and almost
1: what. Allegi- that's almost what the pledge of allegiance is. There's an us. There's a us. Right. I mean, I am playing with the words a little bit.
0: Well, kind of it. now I'm just playing it over in my mind. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's, as a child, I bristled and I wrote several letters to then presidents about the under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Because when I was a little, little one in elementary school, I thought that I was an atheist. And I felt like, well, there's supposed to be a separation of church and state. So why am I, is this being indoctrinated into me? And why do I have to pledge allegiance to something that I don't, believe in um and i feel like like now of course i believe in a higher source and for those who aren't there i do acknowledge where the pledge of allegiance
1: to be they might
0: included in that
1: and you know, in a voluntary as a, in a voluntary individual space we know why and we have an intentional conversation that's happening we have an intentional reason for why this thing does not fit me I don't have to even prove it. I mean, there's that the justification that needing to uh, justify to like justify that I'm part of an us or justify that I'm not of them. That is an extra. That's an extra to me.
0: I'm, I'm, yeah, I feel that. I also. I'm still like I. I, I don't want to pledge allegiance. Like even though I am for you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. and even down with under God. I don't want to force people to ally themselves with something if they don't want to. Like, that feels very collectivist. That feels very communist. What if some people don't want to pledge allegiance to that? I want them to still be allowed to be here and to function with us.
1: And to still have a, uh, a pulse and a spirit that is necessarily inalienable and American by that by that regard, um, yeah, the pledge of allegiance—that could be a whole interesting topic there. I don't, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I think that kind of any kind of forcing like that, like you need to do this thing, but then that brings up, you know, w- what about the uh, the kneeling during the uh, the anthem? That's okay, that's so gotten all that, this. What do you
0: write that down for me, like? What is what is the kneeling about?
1: Uh, I'm not going to profess to be an expert about it. What I've collected so far is that it's a way of it's a way of peacefully protesting. It's a way of being an activist from at least from a professional sports space. At the beginning of all of these games, there is a ritual that is done to uh, sing an anthem, like. Um, I mean I think in different countries that everyone sings their own anthem kind of a thing. When someone takes a knee they're saying I object to this. Now it's a free country. We are we we I think that it's important to be able to voice to voice these things. Now to um uh, to then also explain it, or to you know, if if you're going to be asked about this, why are you taking a knee? Do you have a platform? Do you have something that you want to say or protest? I mean, I think that can be uh, a helpful space for dialogue. Can be. It's not being used for a helpful space for dialogue right now. And I also think that the there's an ironic piece with a professional athlete because in some regards professional athletes are modern day slaves.
0: Oh please, I, come on. Our professional athletes are be paying multi, multi-million dollars, not just to play, but then let's talk about their advertising contracts.
1: Totally, totally. They're working
0: for, they're not modern day slaves at all. They don't have to do anything that they're it's, doing. It's and a different type of
1: slavery. It's a different type. We're not talking about the type of slavery. I'm talking about more of an existential freedom. There are things you can and cannot do
0: That's based on wants a. a the job True. any job any corporation you work for you were talking about in our last show if you work for Starbucks then you can't wear a black lives matter shirt that's correct because that's the policy of your employers that you are willingly they willingly work for this you can't be a slave if you can walk away if you're if you at any moment can say this doesn't work for me I'm going to walk away yes you'll lose a few million dollars but you're not a slave
1: well what about um What about our enslavement to the financial institution or the Fed?
0: Who's enslaved to it?
1: I think, uh, I would say most people, I would say most people who, I mean, in in some regards, if you're born into this system, and you're checked in with a birth certificate, there's that enslavement okay, layer.
0: There's, there's that enslavement for sure, and that is happening. However, if I decide to trade you a book in exchange for chocolate, that's happening outside of the system. You and I are still able to trade our goods and our services and we're not enslaved to that. And I, don't get me wrong, like there, there are issues as far as our birth certificates and, and that whole sham, and we can choose, to extricate ourselves and to do it differently. And it does annoy me to hear people say we're slaves to it because you don't have to take that job working for Xerox or working for Nike or Seattle Seahawks. You can choose to do it differently, but there are people who want the benefits that that slave system does provide. So we can't complain about it if we're willingly participating. And to say that professional athletes who get paid way too much to throw and catch our slaves is not gonna fly. And I don't know what they're protesting, but I'm really tired of the conflation of shitty law enforcement with the United States of America. They're not the same. And shitty law enforcement also doesn't equal vast racism. It equals shitty law enforcement. So to protest the the national anthem is weird to me and then to protest that your corporation that's paying you multi-millions of dollars to represent them has an issue with it, shut up, you don't have to work for them. That's why I don't work for corporations because I don't wanna do what someone else tells me to do and I personally want the freedom to kneel. But if someone's corporation doesn't want them to do that, they're not a slave. They're denying their responsibility in the situation.
1: It's a valid point. It's a valid point and I think that our definition of slave, we kind of, we're working on a few different definitions of slave in that conversation.
0: As far, it's the triggery word right now. When I think of slave, I think of someone who is taken against their will, put into a situation against their will, where they are working for someone for no, you know, they don't have their freedom to live, to be happy, to do any, you know, like, I'm, like I have a visual image of someone chained and they can't leave their situation. It is so annoying to me, these people who get paid $20 million a year, and I'm supposed to sum up all this sadness because their corporation doesn't want them to kneel. That's called living an adult life and having a job where you work for someone else and you represent their vision. If you don't want to do it, then don't be a professional athlete. Don't cry all these little baby tears. It doesn't work for me.
1: It's not a generalization that all people who work in jobs or all professional athletes are slaves. I still, I'm going to hold and I'm still mun and I'm still chewing on this piece because you asked me about the kneeling and I said I'm not an expert on it, but this is my gist of it, is that it's a consciousness. It's a victim consciousness. Like When I think about slavery, the most prevalent slavery that I can think of is, yeah, I think the worst forms of slavery are what you're speaking to, chains and being taken and being forced without compensation. I think the more prevalent slavery is more victim consciousness as a modern day slavery that in some ways is even more dangerous because people don't recognize or even see that they are playing into and part of a system that they are enslaved to. And even if they wanted to get out, have lost the ability to think about how to get out. Or it's so unreasonable to get out of that situation because they would have to give up so many of their preferences that it's just easier to ask, acquiesce and opt for convenience and just continue in the victim consciousness of slavery. That's where I'm coming from.
0: Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying and that and that does like the whole system is slavery. You know, like that it is set up that way. But with, you know, they're it's more nebulous than that. Cause we can get out, you know, like you and I have gotten out to an extent, like you're still playing a different game, but like even just making the choice to take Yes Cacao online, instead of jumping through all the hoops to get to the stores is a way that you've, you know, eradicated another piece, you know, school sets us up for that. And that's the unfortunate piece about mm. that indoctrination institution is that it shuts down our ability to think. I feel like What's more frustrating to me are the people who work shitty jobs and still don't have enough money to sustain their livelihoods. So I'm gonna have more sympathy for you know, someone who's working security at Walmart and, is, and then has to take a second job driving Uber at night to fe- feed their family. That feels more like slavery to me than the football player who's getting $12 million and is a slave because the corporation that pays him that much money doesn't want him to kneel. And I feel like, yeah, what you're saying is true. Like, Let's take responsibility for being attached to our comforts and being attached to a certain lifestyle and then let's at least be honest with it, you know? Because there are people who sell out for these great jobs, but let's just be honest and not claim victimhood and call ourselves slaves when we're being paid more than 99.9% of people on the planet to throw a ball and play a game with our friend instead of doing actual like hard work that people hate, which most people do.
1: I, I, I love these, the rant. I love it because I can feel your passion coming through. I'm sure our audience is also appreciating the vibe and the, the, the liveliness of this conversation. For the record, I do not have sympathy for, for the type of slavery that an athlete may or may not be ascribing. I also don't think that athletes are ascribing themselves. I don't think the athletes are saying I'm a slave to this system. I don't think, I I don't know of any athletes that are saying that. I am seeing more of um, philosophically people looking for how slavery as we have conceived it is still part of culture today, even though, I mean, I'm not even talking about the 10 million, nine, 10 million people that are enslaved in the ways, in the more gross and 3D enslavement that we were just speaking to. I'm just more so commenting on the philosophical conversation that how slavery has become, how, how it has evolved, where does it appear today as a prevalence?
0: Totally. I mean, the debt economy it is where I see slavery. This, this like allure of like, you know, 10% down and 36% payments like to me that is slavery and that whole paradigm of how people live their lives based on debt and then the ways that they are enslaved to sustain their debt I mean yeah it's a larger if we want to talk about the ways that our system is fucked up I think we need to look at our birth certificates education the economy in itself but it just uh, for me, I get annoyed when these, like, celebrity... I, first of all, just the fact that we put celebrities on pedestals is so gross to me. It is something I'm really excited for us to get over. And then we're supposed to feel sorry for the celebrities, for these little inconveniences. That, for me, isn't slavery. The larger conversation that I see you staring us towards, yes, we are all born slaves just by the fact that we have a Bush certificate. Not actually
1: born don- slaves. Not actually born slaves.
0: Correct. We're established as slaves as we are given birth certificates and as we are sold as bonds on the secret slave market.
1: We are birthed into the tours hands. You know, there's that. I love that sovereignty conversation. It's so, I mean, I think we did cover some of this in our yeah. sovereignty podcast. Yeah. Um,
0: but, but like even just taking it back to the us, them, like even like just let's use sports as an example. How many people will like a sports team because they were born in the city where that sports team is or maybe because their parent has an association with a certain sports team and that that like very early inculcation into an us them like our defense is looking great you know and and the, that whole paradigm of being a sports fan is just giving life to us them and these rivalries that aren't even based on our own talents or our own hard work, but on other people's talents and hard work that we're choosing to align ourselves with. Like it's so embedded in the culture to pick in us and to angle ourselves against them just, just through sports.
1: I mean, I, I think in the sports conversation, I'm not really a sports fan nor a fanatic about sports. I can appreciate the collective spirit and the enthusiasm that comes through that, that gets Hold through people and the excitement about witnessing humans do awesome things with their physical and also mental capacities. I also think that there are opportunities, me being a guestologist, will see that sports team fans have an us-them, and they also are baseball fans. You know, They have a collective. There are places where people can bridge that us-them.
0: Totally, and I think that that's not the majority of how how sports fans are encouraged in our culture.
1: I don't know if I agree with that completely because I, I, like I will witness people be, um, let's say, uh, like a Yankees fan and a Dodgers fan.
0: Those are my favorite basketball teams.
1: Awesome touchdown! So <laughs> I notice. <laughs> I noticed that there will be a rivalry. You know, there will be like an us, though there's a them, us themness about it, but there's also a connection that's happening through that. As basic layer as as that can be, there's still a connection there. And, you know, it's different if it becomes violent or or whatnot, but I, I do think that the majority of people who are sports fans appreciate the camaraderie there's something in the masculine. There's something in that, uh, the, the rivalry, but also the connection through that and, and through that kind of more push and pull and give and take kind of a thing. It's, it's funny, because I, I, um, I did, I started, a, I had a startup um, some years ago, actually right before, right around when we had our t-shirt business. And it's called Rival Roles. And the rival roles concept was we were going to be printing on toilet paper sports teams. Yeah, sports teams logos and then selling it to the rival so that they can wipe out the competition, which to me was just, the pun of it was just so satisfying, the wipe out the competition piece. I love it. And it was really a good opportunity for me to look into the potential energy in a rivalry and how that's actually a connection point. It can be in an elevated elevated consciousness.
0: Like I'm I'm hearing what you're saying about sports teams and I'm noticing how what has you excited about the bonding that comes through sports is exactly what scares me about the us, them that I see coming through sports. And I'm not even saying, like I think there's truth to both of what we're saying. Um, What's coming to mind is whichever Olympics I think it was 84 when was Zola Budd that the African who tripped I, I remember that it was a it was a running race in the Olympics and someone tripped and I think it was the American tripped the African woman and there was this giant outcry against her and I, I'm sure I'm telling the story wrong But what had happened was the American ended up losing and and I watched and I was a kid this giant backlash against this African woman and but she but the the American had tripped her like it wasn't actually fair. And it was the first time that I understood everyone is siding for a lie and something that isn't fair because we're Americans and we're supposed to be on the side of the American person. And I found that very disturbing because it was stepping over the truth. And it was this weird nationalism that struck me as very dangerous because we're all supposed to be an us.
1: I don't, I don't know that know. Really translates. I, I just don't know that there's a, a sustainable us when there's also a supposed to. Okay. Like the Pledge of Allegiance. If we're supposed to do it, it's not a sustainable us. There's not something exactly. that's actually, you know, if you know, there. In the conversation that we had uh, a couple podcasts ago, I believe it was the Courage episode. There, we were talking about strategies for entering, uh, you know, when you, when you come into a conflict or a fear space. How do you? how do you escape the fear space or how to move, how to move through it. And I was speaking to going meta. That was, that's my, I just like to elevate high enough to see the oneness of all things. Then from that base, zoom back in and bring the, this is also like when I've had clairvoyant readings, um, there's, there's a general consensus from people speaking to my guides that, oh, Justin, you're really connected to this high up, amazing meta spirit realm, come down the ladder. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do any good unless you come down the ladder. So I'll go to where I'm comfortable, find some like, some truth that can stand the test of that many levels, and then my job is to bring it down. Mm-hmm. It's actually also my mind galactic signature. As a red rhythmic skywalker is the bridge between heaven and earth. It's the connection point between the two. You I'm also, also. Skywalker. That's right. Which skywalker are you again? Lunar. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah. That's right.
0: Makes more sense.
1: I love that. Maybe we'll do an episode on Mind Galactic. Uh, it would be great to have a guest, someone who's really uh, super geeked out on it.
0: Is Jose Arguelles still alive?
1: <laughs> dream be, big or go home? Dream big and go home sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I feel like, and I'm, I'm let's, let's wrap this up. Um, if for no other reason than I ballet and (laughs) just to to piggyback on your meta mastery, your meta macro mastery, which I think is, you know, definitely one of your superpowers. I feel like it's the key to expanding into the us and to expanding into the unity. And I know it's just that, where is the shared crossover? Where are we alike? These things are freaking me out and scaring me because I don't understand where this person is coming from. What do we have in common? What are the notions we share? And you know, this came up last night at a meeting where this woman, you know, I've, I've had this come up in several meetings where there's a lot of fear around the potential of vaccines and that seems to be her focus. And I noticed that when I wanted to bring the conversation towards positive sh- solutions, she tends to bring the conversation towards fear. And I tend to, I have historically contracted around that. And last night I was listening to her really with the intention of where is my approval? Like where is our shared humanity here. I really want to be on the same page as as this woman. And she's from, you know, the former Soviet Union. And I realized how much of what she was talking about is from her fear of never being able to fly again, never being able to see her family again. And once I tapped into that, all the, the the reasons that I had to reject her fell away and all the reasons that I wasn't favoring her perspective fell away because I really got to drop into compassion of she is really afraid of never being able to see her family again. And I do not have that experience and I really need to extend myself in, into some really expanded empathy and understand where she's coming from and what's driving her. And I just, every all the, the other sort of like, crunchy feelings I had just completely fell away. And now I, I just hold her in a different space in going through the exercise of finding our us-ness.
1: Beautiful. Actually, I, I task us and I task our audience with expanding our us. Our personal mm-hmm. vision of what is us, expand it into and ex- find opportunities, attract opportunities to expand your us-ness.
0: Yeah, and to flip the them into an us. Like, to really challenge yourself to be an ontological existential genius and any time you see yourself identifying someone as a them, to do what is necessary to flip that into an us.
1: I knew we were going to cover Jedi Mind Tricks in this episode. I as knew it.
0: we do. Wow,
1: that was a an elongated and delicious thanks for even kind of pushing up against and yet... <laughs> We are still in us.
0: We are definitely Amazing. still in us. Always. Um, else. For else?
1: Um, for a fun reference, because I like th- throwing things in the show notes, I will put a reference to a book called We, which is an example of how collectivism can go awry. Ooh, it's a good one. Written in the early 1920s in the... Uh, the impetus, the motivation for both 1984 and A Brave New World. If you're into dystopian novels, this one's for you.
0: Thanks, Justin.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, DK. I look forward to our next conversation. Look forward to episode 19, to being syndicated across multi-platforms and for us to have a continuing conversation about consciousness and awesomeness, finding the silver lining and the heart of the issue issues, uh because we are on a mission here. You and me and we, all of our listeners, we're all in it together.
0: Aho.
1: Aho. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Be sure to give it a like to share it with your nearest and dearest. And remember to subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single episode of your very favorite podcast, Word Up with Danny Katz. We'll see you soon, tribe.